Welcome to the Football Guys Dynasty Show. I am Chad Parsons, and this is the year to fade quarterbacks in rookie drafts. Joe Burrow is the 101 in most Superflex leagues, which have been drafted uh, since the NFL draft, and Tua Tagovailoa. It's top four, top five of Superflex rookie drafts. Even Justin Herbert, he's going in the first round, top ten in a lot of Superflex drafts. But what does that mean? It means you need to fade the position. It's not like last year. This is not Kyler Murray. This is not the same running back class from last year. It's not the same wide receiver class from 2019. And if you're thinking you're going to get the quick flip, if you think you're going to get the Oracle at quarterback, that is not likely. Historically, we're looking at even with a top uh, overall draft pick in the NFL draft, like Mr. Joe Burrow, who's going to transform the Bengals, uh, we're talking about a low-level QB2 in Superflex leagues historically in year one. What does year two mean? It's like a mid-quarterback two. The probabilities are not good that you're going to hit on a game changer at the position, even from number one overall in the NFL draft. And even picks two through ten, do you think that's going to be improved at all? It is not. Two through ten in the first year, less than a 10% hit rate to find a quarterback one. So we have a elite blue chip running back class, and you're going to say no over and over again in the top five, six, seven of your league to take Joe Burrow and to take Tua Tagovailoa in your Superflex rookie drafts. It is a catastrophic mistake, and it's mainly due to the talent that is surrounding said players and not intrinsic to Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa themselves. So we can get into Jalen Hurts. We can talk about Justin Herbert. They are in risky ranges as well with their surrounding other skill position players. Yeah, and I'm Jordan McNamara, and this is the year of perhaps the greatest rookie class, uh, at least since 2008, in terms of guys that qualify as being rookie picks in the first round. When you sort of look at the average threshold for, for first-round picks across positions, uh, this year there are 14 of them that would qualify as being an above-average historical first-round pick in a start-one quarterback league, which is where we have the data going back to. To give you a comparison, last year, only six. So it's better by – it is the best class uh, since that since that 2008 threshold in terms of having 14 guys above that first-round line. So a lot of opportunities this year to – to build a strong team, uh, to avoid some of the landmines that you were discussing, to avoid pedigree reaches, and to to just avoid making big mistakes in your draft. Just simply, um, you know, this is the year to to capitalize and really build a big team. So, I mean, I think what you said and and the combination of those two things gives you a lot of opportunities this year. Yeah, and for Joe Burrow, uh, again, this is nothing having to do with with the historic season he had for. Uh, LSU. This has nothing to do with the great track outside of injury concerns, outside of potential longevity concerns with Tua Tagovailoa. This has specifically to do with the metric profiles, the safety, and while it wasn't top 10 uh, or even first round for a majority of those top running backs, it has to do with their top elite metric profiles as well as their workhorse-like uh, projections. And and I think what's going to throw people off, especially at the top of Superflex boards, is the fact that there is ambiguity with their landing spots. The fact that there isn't that clear-cut Josh Jacobs walk into a lead role. No one is really going to stop them. Uh, there are reasons to be concerned with every single one of them not being a lock-and-loaded week one starter. And yet, people will pivot 
mistakenly so in my opinion, to go towards the quarterback because they will be a starter. Well, guess what? Tua is not a guaranteed week one starter. Joe Burrow may not get the week one start. But even that, you're talking about redraft things. You're talking about even I want to have a, a winning record in September of, you know, or whenever week one, those first three, four games are of the first season, you're drafting a rookie, which is very short sighted and the exact opposite of thinking like a long term general manager in your dynasty leagues. You're building from the top down and you want to have quality depth. But also, you want that pop potential. You want to have some potential to get a first-round startup pick or a rising a rising value, a rising asset relatively early. And running back historically gives you that opportunity with an injury by midseason. I always think back to a clear-cut example is Nick Chubb being blocked by Carlos Hyde. Mm -hmm. And now it sounds like a punchline. Now it sounds laughable to think that. And what did they do? It was such an overt changing of the guard by midseason. Carlos Hyde wasn't even on the team anymore. He was traded. He wasn't even on the Browns by midseason, by the fantasy stretch run of year one. So Nick Chubb ran with that job and it wasn't in the opening month of the season. So that's an example. And I also wanted to go through the fact that who have been the quarterback ones in the last 20, 25 years in terms of top picks. It's been Peyton Manning, Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, and Kyler Murray. One of them, Peyton Manning, is a diabolical passer. The other three were plus, if not elite level runners. That is the fast track. That is the cheat code to getting a quarterback one initially. A quarterback that isn't super refined as a passer, but can run around enough to amplify their fantasy production. And while they figure it out, Cam Newton is still trying to figure it out as a passer. That's probably never going to occur, but he's gotten by as one of the best runners in NFL history from the position. And Andrew Luck was a blend of both of those things. Kyler Murray, we'll see about the diabolical passer part, but he can he can be, outside of Lamar Jackson, one of the top runners in the entire NFL. So something to keep in mind Joe Burrow doesn't really fit that big-time runner, high-level, top two, three, four in the NFL runner at the position. So that kind of puts you into the subset. He needs to be an elite, diabolically accurate, uh, you know, and, and facilitator of fantasy points passer. So you're really pinpointing it into that one subset, which is a tall and historically rare uh, bet to make. Yeah, I mean, almost you could say of, of the guys that have the higher range of outcomes at the quarterback position this year, in terms of maybe being the top rookie in terms of scoring, as well as the lowest, as well as the lowest like long-term floor, it might be Justin Herbert because of what he adds with his ability on the ground. So I'm sort of with you. One other thing that you noted that I just want to close a loop on is the, it's the waiting on running back thing. Is the waiting on, you know, when you see guys have that narrative who would qualify as being top three picks in a normal class, but go into a quote block situation. And you brought up Nick Chubb. Another one was Joe Mixon a couple of years ago where he was blocked by, uh, you know, quote blocked in his situation to start. And then by midseason, he came on. And what you'll notice in, in some of our advanced, advanced metrics that we use in warp and, and a warp in particular, which is adjusted wins over replacement player, uh, and measures basically the true value or the true utility, uh, the true, 
games that a player actually adds for your team. The difference between running backs that go in the top three picks of the of rookie drafts and that go in picks four through six is no different. And so what you see is the in that a warp metric, which is the the true impact a player makes. And I think the reason for that is is because you get that discount. You get a little bit of that discount in terms of guys, quote, sliding because of block situation, when in reality, they're very much the same profiles and long term profile the same. So what you're getting in terms of a, uh, you know, a, a month or two months, maybe a little bit of a murky situation, you're getting a discount on that when they're about equal in the long term. So I think that if and I haven't seen it this year. I mean, it's it's a little bit, I thought it would happen to J.K. Dobbins, but it hasn't yet. I mean, that was the person that I thought would slide a little bit in terms of in terms of where he goes in rookie drafts because of situation. But it, it, I mean, he is, he is right there between Swift and Akers. So I thought that he would be the running back five if we were going to see that, but we haven't really yet. I've seen him at running back four out of Akers in the drafts that I'm tracking. So um, I think that's a, a, a thing to watch. And maybe this year it'll be a little bit different because we won't have OTAs and all those sorts of narratives coming out of, uh, coming out of camps. But I think that's something to watch over the next uh, few weeks to months. Yeah, and I wouldn't let round two pedigree from running backs really affect your thinking. We want round one. Ideally, we'd like, you know, Todd Gurley, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, the types that go top five, top ten in the draft. And, you know, you would see I actually asked Gil Brandt about this before the NFL draft on Twitter. Uh, and he mentioned, you know, this is not a talent problem. This is not a the the running the running back position is not important to NFL teams or the construction of offenses anymore. It is a look at the draft and specifically the things we were talking about when we were um, doing a live show during the, the first two nights of the draft was that just the needs aren't there. Where is that first spot? So even if you say there's three, four running backs and man, they are first round quality this year. That really wasn't in the cards. And a lot of that was situational of these teams. First of all, it's one of the youngest, uh, in terms of cores of the average age of starting running backs in the NFL around the league. There's just not a lot of teams that are, that are looking, man, uh, I've got an older, uh, running back or I've got nobody I really have confidence in. Let me go get a guy like Josh Jacobs last year. That is just was not the case this year. And even, you know, a lot of people earmarked Miami and said, Oh, they're, they were the team that didn't take a running back of note. So you, you sit there and you say, there's not a lot of need. There's a, a huge talent pool of wide receivers. There's also a talent pool of offensive linemen, defensive players in general. So everyone's going to gravitate towards those positions until they run out. And then you saw the stark shift on day two, specifically in the second round, and they all start to go. Um, even some players, you know, Cam Akers, a lot of projections were later round three. Well, that didn't happen. You know, he didn't even make it out of the second round. So you see that the talent will eventually catch up. The NFL usually is pretty market efficient, even though a lot of people, you know, want to fire away and say, you know, these certain general managers don't do a great job or these teams always, you know, do well at this position or not well. Um, generally things, you know, things even out over time in terms of probabilities and great drafts, weak drafts, uh, that take years to kind of evaluate 
once we get removed from it. But a lot of the the year one hit rate uh, to find top 24 running backs is not very different between round one and round two. And so that's why, you know, things do shift long term and you do have more stability with round one running backs. But initially, especially in the first 12 to 18 months of ownership, which let's let's be real as a dynasty GM, you're drafting a player and you can have the longest term view that you want. Uh, with I'm investing in this player, I'm going to own them my, their whole career. The odds are you won't. The odds are that you're going to be continually evaluating what do I think of the player and what does the market and is this an opportunity to exploit by uh, adding additional shares in my other leagues where I wasn't able to acquire them in rookie drafts or is it a, it, does the market value them higher than I do and it's a time to sell. Even if that's a player Eight months, 12 months, 16 months ago, I drafted and was bullish on have things changed. We're constantly reevaluating. And so you really can't look in this view of I'm going to buy this player. I'm going to own this player from the outset in my rookie draft. And for three, four years, it's almost like you have blinders on. We're human. We're going to keep reevaluating. And honestly, that's a healthy thing to do of saying, where do I sit with a player versus the market? So we want a player running back. You get clarity. You get clarity very early on. And I think about wide receiver and especially some quarterbacks. You can go two, three seasons and really not have full clarity on what has happened and what will happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I don't know about your reaction to the draft as we were sitting there. I, you and I were talking together for two full nights and I, I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and then it kind of really dawned on me how, how great the class had turned out through three rounds. And if you had told me that coming into the night, like, listen, AJ Dillon's going to go, you know, right around 60 overall, I would have been like, I don't, I don't think that at all. You know, I would have thought that there was a, if you had given me the odds of he was going to go at 60 or he was going to go at 110, like I would have much, much more taking him at 110 and something that you and I talked about and I think it's a big time implication in this in this class is is that once that happened the floodgates opened up and what we thought was a tier that was going to develop in round in day three so in round four round five it just came pouring open in and round three and that difference between round three and round four that that tear break across days, that's a big deal. And so when you look at guys like, uh, and, and I think you have to think about this in rookie drafts too. So when you, when you think about guys like Zach Moss or, um, and compare them to guys like Anthony McFarlane, who it went in round four, historically, that's a pretty big drop in terms of, in terms of hit rate. So you have to, if you're going to make that decision, you know, what I would consider cross days, uh, at, particularly at the running back position, um, but even even more so really at receiver. Uh, but when you sort of think about when you're stacking up your board and thinking about players, when you're going to make a drop uh, across days of the NFL draft, you have to think really hard about taking the player that went later uh, and instead of the player that went earlier. And you have to have really good reasons and really good convictions. Not to say that that's a, the wrong decision, but as a general matter, like you should start from there. And I think that's a really simple way to do it. But I, I never really thought we would get into the situation where we would have, you know, eight, nine, 10 guys going off the board in terms of the first, uh, two days, the first three rounds of the NFL draft. And that's just going to create a, it's going to create a, a really ripe situation. You're going to have, I think you're going to have a couple of guys that went on day two end up as round three rookie picks just in terms of ADP. That's a historical abnormality. You're going to see, 
I think at least one wide receiver that went in the first round of the NFL draft go in round two of rookie ADP. There's only been five in the past 12 years that have done that. So you just, that's going to be where you're going to, I mean, I'm guessing you're going to probably see, uh, you know, top 10 quarterbacks go in, in late round three of rookie drafts. Like those are, are indications of really good classes because those things are, they're uncommon and only happen when there's a rich, a talent pool. So I think that's a big thing this year. Are there any players that you have seen? I know you've been tracking some drafts. Are there any players you've seen at particular price points that you're just, that you're pretty cautious of or, or would warn the market on? Yeah. And I love how measured that question is. We, we really haven't. Um, the interesting thing is, so again, we were talking live for, you know, eight, nine hours on Thursday and Friday night. Uh, we kind of went our separate ways. And honestly, you know, I, I went into a bubble and, you know, I get into the, the data cave, as I call it, um, over the weekend, just doing so many things, uh, that are, you know, beyond the, um, beyond the normal, let's just, you know, I have 50 names and let's kind of drag and drop and, and get some, some rookie semblance going. There's a lot more to it. Um, but yeah, that, um, kind of having more assessment on that. It, this is the year that it is. There's two kinds of years. And I always reference, uh, the Devante Booker year, uh, which <laughs> is the year where you have, you're put artificially pushing up guys that they have no business being in the first round of rookie drafts because there's just not enough bodies. You've referenced it before. Like there now the cup overfloweth. The cup is, it has too many names to fit. And especially in Superflex, you know, names that, might normally be 110, 111 of a class, you're sitting at 204, 205, and they're available to you. Um, so yeah, so this is more of the, I call it the fish in the barrel year because you have generally it's the, actually 2014 was the case too, because I remember that the takeaway was, and literally if you wanted one tagline for that year, and honestly, like sitting there in the moment, I didn't include Bishop Sankey, which was actually one of the the horrific names to include. But I was basically, it was among that really, you know, just so much fruit falling from that wide receiver tree in 2014. And we compare every class, is it 2014 or is it not? And honestly, this is the closest one we've had since. That that year, it was anybody but Marquise Lee. Twitter wasn't a super huge thing in 2014, at least for me. But if there was a hashtag, it'd be hashtag anyone but Marquise Lee. And so this is the year that it, it's fish in the barrel and it's more about shading and, and there's less horrific. Don't you cannot make that pick type stuff going on is what I would say. So it's a lot easier. It's a lot more paint by number of just, well, here's ranges, here's players. And you know, there, you have preferences within tiers, I think is a good way to put it. So back to what you asked, which is very specific of, is there a player you're seeing the price point that, and, and so I'll say this, that I think, um, especially in the late first and early second round. Um, so I'll, I'll just, I'll pick a point right there. I still think that Henry Ruggs is a tough pick from what I've observed. And yes, he was the first wide receiver off the board, but I think the shading between we knew the top three, four, five, six wide receivers were all going to go in a 10, 15, 18 pick span. That's relatively small. No one went two overall in the draft. We didn't have Larry Fitzgerald this year. We had a lot of really good wide receivers that were consensusly first round, uh, viewed, you know, going through the process. And sure enough, 
you know, the first three that people expected off the board were the first three different order. I'm sure Dallas didn't think they were going to go look right. at CeeDee Lamb. So they go, yes, we'll take that. Thank you. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll take him. We'll figure it out. Dak, Dak Prescott is sending you, you know, uh, a box of cookies. Uh, he's very pleased, very pleased with what, what they did. Well, actually, just what Jerry Jones did, I guess. But um, but anyway, but Henry Ruggs, he's walking into a situation where it's pretty wide open for a number one role. And is he up to that task? He is also paired with Derek Carr. So he, Derek Carr, again, I like him, but let's not pretend like he has a runway of the next three to five years that almost no matter how it goes, he'll have a job. And I know that's a high bar and very few quarterbacks have that period. But the point is he doesn't have much allegiance. They got Maricus Mariota and this is almost a Tennessee situation from last year. Mm-hmm. So he, they could easily just pull the, pull the trigger and switch, uh, you know, and go a different direction mid season if this thing is not going the direction they want specifically with Derek Carr. So they also got one of the most interesting picks in the draft, in my opinion, which is Brian Edwards going day two, same draft class. And one of those players that could he go day two? Could he go uh, day three? He ends up firmly going day two without a workout, but having a very nice profile. I don't think people should be surprised if this thing, like you need to give a puncher's chance that Brian Edwards two years from now is actually the wide receiver one there. So I think Henry Ruggs, considering he's going in Superflex right around that one, two edge in terms of round, while being the first receiver off the board, this is about where he was going. Late first kind of feels, you know, pre-draft. It hasn't really moved too much. And yet he was the, he goes to an open depth chart. He goes as the first receiver and that still doesn't really help him. I think that means something. So to me, he's a guy that, you know, as I go through my 30, 40 rookie drafts over the next 30 plus days, I just don't see myself in that zone pulling that trigger much at all just because of surrounding options. But he still has that moniker of, of boom bust metrically. And I mean, could you look silly betting on, betting against a guy that runs 4-2x and could literally light the league on fire within the right range of outcomes? You could absolutely look that way. But I just, to me, it's aligning like it's a little more of a danger spot early on. And again, there's not many. This is me quibbling. You're getting the top 10, uh, sorry, you're getting the first wide receiver off the board in the top 15 and, and you're getting that and the late first as a contending team, you could just sit there at 112 and just take Henry Ruggs. That's a great year for me to pick it apart and say that's one that stands out to me. Yeah, when you have to go that far down the board to sort of quibble about wide receiver one going as wide receiver five. I mean, it's, it's almost like last year where wide receiver five, one went wide receiver four or five in rookie drafts. It's pretty, it's pretty abnormal. The, you know, the thing I, I really think about with rugs is you don't, he's one of five guys since 2003 to not crack 20% market share or 20% dominator rating in a year uh, and go in the first round of the draft. I mean, it's just a rare and none of those guys have hit. So it's just a, and when you compare him to some of the other guys that you're getting in that range, even the good, you know, the quote, good day two or good round two picks. I mean, you, you sort of, at that point, you're, you almost want to break, t- uh, break ties against him as well. Though I don't think, you know, if you're sitting at 203, 204, something like that, Ruggs is probably gone. It's going to make that decision for you. Um, but if you're sort of sitting there against him and against, uh, you know, whether it's T Higgins or, you know, some, some of the other day two wide receivers in that range, I think it's a more interesting conversation than you would historically think for a round one wide receiver. 
Yeah. Um, I do want to mention, you know, now that we're, we're halfway through the show or so, um, I do want to mention, so we mentioned at the top, I am Chad Parsons and he is Jordan McNamara. Uh, we've done hundreds of shows together, um, in these, in these, uh, host and, and co-host, co-captain chairs. And we're happy, we're, we're so happy and thrilled to bring our, our dynasty acumen and, and information to the, uh, the podcasting and the, and the show world of football guys. And Jordan is new. He is, he has been upgraded, elevated and promoted to a staff writer position, uh, this off season. I've been here a few years and the dynasty, uh, shows and kind of diving into strategy is where we live and breathe both as, both as GMs in our own leagues. And what we always say is be the best dynasty GM you can possibly be and then be an analyst and share that knowledge that, that you gain, uh, through your study, research, and also implementing in your leagues. So, um, also want to mention listening, uh, if you're, if you're watching this, but it's also, you know, most of this is an audio medium, um, go over and sign up at football guys for their free daily email. It is back up and running. It's running almost every month of the year. There's a slight break after the Super Bowl, but every single day, this is like as, as, uh, as daily of a routine and Jordan can relate well as a cup of coffee, you know, you have your routine of where you get it, where do you drink it? What's your routine timetable? It's going to be in your inbox every single morning. And it, it's such a resource because even if you track stuff, even if you're reading, uh, the, the football news, uh, this comes to your, your inbox and it's almost a fail safe. Oh, invariably it's like, there'll be something in there you missed. You missed and maybe you need to take action as a dynasty GM and they have the takeaways. Uh, if you miss something, a signing, a trade, uh, just some news, uh, from across the NFL. So it's an invaluable resource. And again, what's the keyword? Free. Just sign up and you're going to start getting it. It's going to be part of your routine every single day. So I can't say enough whether, you know, you're just starting out, whether you play a little redraft, play a ton of dynasty, anything in between, uh, there is value to be had. And again, it just starts to get. Uh, some of the information, the value from footballguys.com if you sign up for that email. Plus, uh, you so, get a daily email from Joe. I mean, it's, it's exactly. a good way to start your day. Exactly. Cup of Joe. Well, actually, that's actually what we should be calling it, Cup of Joe. Um, I wanted to ask Jordan because um, I think the interesting part, um, and I'm, I actually have one key central quarterback for this this topic, is the key dynasty quarterbacks. Because it feels like there's some juggernaut skill position teams out there. And whether it's a quarterback we don't know about, a quarterback we hope is going to hang on, maybe it's a changing of the guard quarterback where there's a lot dynasty value-wise and dynasty production-wise riding on these quarterbacks. And I wanted to start with my fixture, my central uh, candidate here, Mr. Drew Locke. Because look at what the Broncos have done. They have built it like they have a Toys R Us gift card and they are seven years old and about ready to have some fun in the mall because they have surrounded him. First of all, Cortland Sutton had a, had a career year to date, um, last season. They drafted Noah Fant in the first round. That's not enough though. Look what they did just in this draft alone. Jerry Judy. Yes. We'll take what was generally consensus, the first wide receiver off the board. Then, oh, KJ Hamler could be the next version of John Brown, Deshaun Hamilton, Deshaun Jackson, or again, just a speed vertical element. Then what do they do? They get one of the, you know, most lauded high end workout tight ends 
that we've seen in recent in recent memory in Albert Aquabunum, who slides inexplicably to day three. Who's going <laughs> to, this is unbelievable. They're top five to six. In addition to getting Melvin Gordon, almost as a luxury in free agency, like we have some money to spend. Let's, let's upgrade this. We, we think we can upgrade the running back position as well. It all centers on Drew Locke. It all centers on a second year quarterback that has played, started five games and was a second round pick. Um, I'll get into second round picks, uh, NFL draft wise for, for, for quarterbacks, not being exactly the land of luxury of where you want to invest. And I know Jordan, you know, we've discussed a lot about these, these checkpoints for quarterbacks that you shouldn't feel too great until they actually start doing it. I mean, there's so many undervalued mid career, back half of their career, veteran dynasty quarterbacks that you can just hit your wagon to. You know, the Kirk Cousins of the world. The Now we get Dak Prescott, or Matt Ryan is a great example of they've mm-hmm. been there, done that, they've seen everything. And you know what? Drew Locke hasn't seen almost anything on, on a different scale. And yet, look at all the dynasty assets that now hang, at least short term, in his balance. And is he really going to be the facilitator, the point guard, this John Stockton to their Carl Malone and produce all that value and distribute it accordingly? I'm very skeptical. Um, my historical eye is skeptical. My small sample size spidey sense is really going off on alert. And yet, don't they feel a little bit like they could be moving into a direction like the 2019 Browns of saying they can't possibly not achieve this high strata of success because look at on paper how great they are, but you still have to go out on the field and do it. Yeah, and and I think the key thing in this whole thing is is Locke's pedigree. And when you look at, you know, when you go back and look, and I've done research on this in terms of just how many starts you get for quarterbacks that get inside a top 12 versus guys that don't get inside a top 12 seasonal finish. And the guys that in the second round, the, the quarterbacks that do not uh, produce a top 12 season finish with 19.7 starts in their NFL career which is be about the end of the season for Drew Locke. So, right, this is really, you know, while people think this might be a, a, a you know, a long-term building process, if he flunks this, expect them to address the position. I don't think this is a long-term investment in Drew Locke. This is a, a long-term investment in an offense uh, to be determined on who's going to man the, man the ship 18, 24, 36 months from now. Um, because if, if Drew Locke flops, they're probably in a position to draft someone again next year. Um, and let's not pretend they spent a lot of capital on him. He, they, I think, didn't they pass on him with like their first second round pick last year? I think he was like their second second round pick, if memory serves. So this isn't, this isn't someone that they have, uh, you know, spent a ton on or have a ton invested in. They have a ton invested around him. I and mean, I think that's two different things. And so while you brought up, I think you rightly bring up Cleveland and, and what they did last year, they're two different arcs in terms of, Baker Mayfield, really, really high pedigree. Drew Locke for an NFL starting quarterback, not really that, that high. And you expect about 22% of, uh, the quarterbacks that are drafted in round two to be top, top 12 starters. And so you got to be really, really careful with that cost. Yeah. And some of the recent quote unquote successes out of, out of, out of day two, round two, you know, guys like Jimmy Garoppolo. And again, once he finally starts, he still doesn't have a quarterback one season. You know, a lot of people no. project him as way better than he actually is. And, and, and you can see him. He might be closer in actuality to that. We're trying to hide him in San Francisco. You know, we're trying to actually 
minimize his impact on games. You know, we were saying last year, what happens if, you know, I, I wanted to see in the playoffs, what happens if they get punched in the mouth? What if they are down by 14 and it's all on Garoppolo's shoulders to lead them back in a game where it's all on him, distribute, and you got to push the ball and be aggressive and not in Mahomes fashion. How does that look? You know, we always said, you know, he, his head thinks he can make all the throws and, and the, and he just frankly can't. Derek Carr is, a, is probably a great example of, and this kind of goes back to, you know, what's a success and what isn't a success. I mean, Derek Carr has been a massively successful round two pedigreed quarterback and yet he's leveled off. You know, he had that one close to MVP type season, but fantasy wise, not running around, he was still kind of locked in, no pun intended to QB two land. So, you know, those type of examples, you know, Colin Kaepernick obviously had his concerns as a passer, but he had the, the rushing, uh, the rushing code to really boost his fantasy production. Guys like Deshaun Kaiser. Um, I, again, it just overall, I think the measured approach, and I love what you mentioned, which is they could go right back to the well. There are actually NFL, NFL free agents right now that not saying that Denver is going to go that way, that direction you know, by week one or anything like that. But um, there's going to be a quick fuse because if this doesn't work, it is. The the blame is going to fall on Drew Locke of not facilitating it. And one thing that, that was kind of alarming to me that, that may be a limiting element here because they have so much now added speed, vertical element, big playability, it really wasn't there last year. You know, he was good inside of 10 yards. And beyond that, pushing the ball, you know, he was one of the weakest in the NFL by a lot of measures. And if you're talking about Drew Locke, who's not going to be overly mobile, he's not going to be, you know, 300 plus rushing yards. He was averaging, I think it was five, six yards per game last year. He really wasn't moving. He was relatively static in the pocket. And you talk about someone that d- didn't excel with the deep ball either. It's going to be a very interesting situation with such a y- low yards per attempt. Maybe things change. Maybe part of it was weapons. But the weapons were fine last year. Yes, they're better now. Um, but that small sample size and the whole extrapolating, here's the prorated, you know, 16 game schedule. That's a very dangerous game or my favorite, you know, rabbit hole that people go down. The stock line that I think gets people in trouble is the every first year player improves to their second year. Every second year player, every young player, well, they're bound to get better. Actually, Maybe defense, defenses are getting better. And especially with the quarterback position. And, 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 you know, we say that all the time to on a number of different uh, platforms. What we say is, you know, just you can take the, take the easy softball, right? Take the mid career quarterback, probably not super sexy, probably not that huge name cachet of say Baker Mayfield last year. Kyler Murray qualifies, just assuming they're going to do it, assuming they're going to be Patrick Mahomes. And it just, if you don't, I mean, Lamar Jackson did it because of why he ran for a historically high amount of touchdowns as well as historically high unsustainable touchdown rate as a passer. And does anyone expect that to return? That is, I mean, we're talking a, you're, you're checking two boxes that are so rare and they come together in the perfect storm of a season. And I'm not saying Drew Locke is going to get to the high point of QB five or three or something like that in uh, dynasty ADP, you know, it, it, where are you going to have to actually take him in drafts this offseason? But uh, the point is his stock is getting mighty hot and I get it. The surrounding talent is there, but it, it all fixates on him. And if he's able to come through more than anything else. And like you said, 
with round two, they're going to have no problem changing to something else veteran or NFL draft wise. It was poised to be another quality quarterback year in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Did you see my, uh, I did my inaugural, uh, football guys dynasty rankings this week and I, I started with quarterback and I, I got, I got right at it at quarterback two. Yes. Dak Prescott. Mr. Dak Prescott. And, and you know what? I mean, this is a great point to make. I, I mean, talk about weapons overload, right? But talk about a, a quarterback who has actually done it. He's done it for a while now. So he's, he is Mr. Underrated. Now you gave him CD Lamb, a luxury pick, a total Dallas pick, right? Of just going for the glamour, you know, a uh, local kid in terms of that area of the country. It could have been quarterback, uh, wide receiver one on a lot of people's boards. And now you add that to Amari Cooper. Michael Gallup to me is so underrated. And now he's going to get lost in the limelight of those two big names. And you got Zeke Elliott and Dak Prescott runs. Like, uh, you know, I recap for football guys, uh, Dallas every week, and it seems like if it's third and six in the red zone, he is absolutely three or four. It's almost like uh, some of that uh, second level data where it's like coming up in the big moments. Dak Prescott, you know, just my spidey sense in those moments on third and six, you know, if he beats in the pocket and pumps once, he's going to run and he's probably going to score. You know, he scores four, five, six touchdowns seemingly a year and those big moments, again, you got to cover the entire field and he's not afraid to take off and that just maximizes his value. And you say, what are you going to do? Come off of CD lamb to go try to go spy Dak Prescott? No chance. So Dallas is like, does it, does it feel like the low hanging fruit that Dallas is going to be one of the top elite blue chip offenses? I mean, they were kind of close before, but it seems like having three close to uncheckable receivers. Uh, where you can only double one of them. I mean, it just seems like it's going to be, it's going to be near impossible to stop them outside of sacks and penalties. I think the, I think the lost story of 2019 season is that Dallas had the number one offense in total yardage and, and it didn't, right? They, they disappointed. They underperformed what you would expect considering how many points they scored versus how many points they gave up, like all of those sort of advanced metrics. Like they sort of got unlucky, but they were, they were the best offense in terms of total yardage in the NFL last year. And you add to that CD lamb, you add and and Dak Prescott finished his quarterback two last year did so with a pretty average touchdown rate, right? Usually you see that touchdown rate get up for quarterback two, six, 7%. He did it at five. And so I actually went ahead and I, I, I just looked at the numbers cause I wanted to see, I think, I think Kelly Murray outscored Dak Prescott by 70 or 80 points last year. If you flip their touchdown rates and just gave each other their other one, Dak Prescott would have outscored Kyler, or would have outscored Lamar Jackson by 200 points. And you know that it, those things are are pretty fluky year over year in terms of touchdown rates, and and we see this all the time with bad bounces and missed tackles, and next thing you know, wide receiver reels off an 80 yard touchdown. Right, those things happen. So. It, is fluky and, and it shows up in the numbers. So I think when you're making a bet, I mean, that I took to finish that, that loop, I did take Jackson over, or I did take Prescott over Lamar Jackson because of a lot of those factors. I just think that there's, uh, there's danger in, in investing. You know, we're playing a game going forward in terms of trying to get future value. Overpaying for past performance is one of the worst ways to, to capture that. So I thought that was a, a fun place to start my dynasty uh, rankings career. And by the way, how do I trade you? I had the Chicago Bears last year and you had Dallas Cowboys. How do I trade you recaps? I certainly have a more fun quarterback situation. <laughs>
But you know what? You know, the, the Bears, not as much to cover. Nick Foles will make it fun, though. That's Yeah, I, the touchdown rate for quarterbacks is definitely uh, one of the most exploitable things. And one of the things you can quickly look at, you know, just just mm-hmm. dial in. And, and you know, I, I used to um, look at that, you know, every single offseason. I would dive into it, you know, and, and get super, super pumped to go through who are the guys that that regressed you know, and followed the rule. And it's really 90 to 95% confidence, you know, in terms of above a certain baseline, below a certain baseline. The big thing, obviously, with the low benchmark is, are they still going to have a job? You know, if they were that poor in terms of touchdown rate, the team probably wasn't very good. Are they still going to have the allegiance to be the starter so that we have that static situation to lean on and bet on the following year? And then it's always those magical years. I go back, you know, Aaron Rodgers had a magical year. Uh, Tom Brady, magical year. Um, you know, so you have to go through and say, even the greats of all time and the greats of recent memory can't repeat it. It's just so tough to have, you know, 40, 45, 50 touchdowns or like Lamar Jackson, lower, uh, lower volume, but higher touch, just historically unsustainable touchdown rate. It's so difficult, but yet you look at again, guys that keep humming along and their quarterback ones without that magical year. And you almost say it's bound to happen, right? If they, they have strong weapons, like you mentioned, the, the, the oblong bounces, the, the slip by defensive backs three, four times for long touchdowns over the course of the year that boosts them by two, three, four points per game and a handful of touchdowns beyond what they're already doing. The, the Dak Prescott does feel like that on that short list of he's never had that strong season and it's sort of that alignment is coming, especially with a defense that's, that's up at, let's say it's, it's being, uh, it's being improved upon, uh, you know, it's an up and coming defense, which means it could be bad. You know, that's, it could be a lot of shootouts. It could be, you know, it, these aren't going to be 17 to 10 games. They're going to have to score 30 plus 35 plus a lot to win the games that we think they're going to win. Uh, you know, and, and that's actually good news for us trying to pile up fantasy points. Same argument for Matt Ryan, right? I mean, the, the addition of, uh, Tom Brady to the division and, and some of the things that they're doing and, uh, you know, Atlanta's defense struggles. I mean, uh, they bring in Todd Gurley and it's, those games are going to necessitate shootouts. And I just think like you look at him and another person I had a down touchdown rate last year was, uh, was actually golf. And so you sort of just look for them for to have some natural regression there. Um, and I think there's some big opportunities and their defense is, is, you know, struggles too. So I, I think you're getting some of these situations where you have some good offenses at some reduced costs, at some reduced costs in terms of quarterbacks right now that have pretty good upside for 2020, assuming it happens. Absolutely. Um, so I mentioned the football guys daily email. Um, Jordan mentioned it in passing. Dynasty rankings are up and flowing. You can find his dynasty rankings on the site. It's also redraft season, uh, FFPC. Um, leagues, um, dynasty leagues, they are drafting now. Football guys player championship drafts are drafting now. You can find that on the contest menu of footballguys.com. You get free, you get a free $35 entry just for signing up and they're drafting. They have drafts going on this week, but again, you can get in there and get an additional bonus team. Uh, to get some action. And uh, again, this is an audio uh, primarily, uh, but we do have a YouTube stream every single week. And football guys on YouTube, you can just search that term. Uh, there were the live NFL draft shows, the audible, you know, on the couch, uh, this dynasty show now. And uh, Sigmund Bloom actually has a SIG section where it's, you know, three, four, five minute shows on uh, small topics, news, 
um, bite-sized information. We'll call them uh, nanobytes, you know, of of, uh, of information and news you need uh, and analysis to help your fantasy teams. So those are all the things that, that you can do to support this show, um, whether it's, again, subscribing on your various podcast platforms and subscribing to the Football Guys channel on YouTube. And those things really help us out. Jordan is on Twitter at McNamara Dynasty. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. And again, you can find our content now that it's post draft. This is rookie draft season for Dynasty GMs. So this is the time of year where, again, we're going to talk a lot about rookies on this show. We're going to talk a lot about the changing landscape of Dynasty player value because from now until the season, that is really where we live. Everything has changed to a large degree. We talked about how Dak Prescott, you get more weapons. We talk about the pressure on Drew Locke. We talked about having a strong take about the quarterback class within the scope of Superflex rookie drafts. All of these things are paramount decisions Dynasty GMs need to make for their teams. So until next week, uh, good luck in your drafts and keep dominating your Dynasty League. Don't panic, Leela. Go, 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 go!